Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. It's been a long day, Pa. Sure has, Ma. I thought them chores would never stop. You almost fell into the well, Pa. Oh, you saw that, did you, Ma? <laughs> pa? Yes, Ma? Do you reckon it was a good idea to expand our marriage into a polyamorous structure? I was afeard at first, but in the long run, I do believe I get a lot emotionally out of loving other people, and it hasn't lessened my love for you, Ma. The big surprise for me has been the profound emotional satisfaction of loving other people. Also, the sexual part. I reckon I've been able to experiment more and and discover more about myself as a sexual person. Right, right. There's that, too. No denying. But I reckon you'd have to say the emotional component is bigger, right, Ma? No, the sexual part is real, too. Really big. It might even be bigger than the emotional... You know, we got an early day tomorrow. I reckon that's enough polyamory chatter. Okay. Good night, Pa. I love you. I love you, too, Ma. Good night. Good night, Helen. And Dave, I love you. Good night to both of you, Mr. and Mrs. Walton. I love you, too. I love you, too. Good night, Waltons. Good night, Helen. And good night, Maria and Ted. Ted's asleep already, but I know he wanted me to say good night to Helen and Dave and to you, Mr. Walton, and especially to Mrs. Walton, and mention how much he enjoyed the recent sex. Uh, That's fine. That's fine. Um, Good night to all of you. Good night, Maria and Ted. Good night, Dave and Helen. Good night, Maria. Good night, Ralph. Ralph? Oh, never mind about that. I didn't know about Ralph either. I thought we were all supposed to be told about anyone new. Okay, Ralph slipped through the cracks. But Look, let's it's not just, fly off the I handle about that Ralph was like happen. you I usually didn't, do. Didn't it's always about to, Ralph. It's always it. something. I just knew it. Well, obviously we have a lot to figure out here, so the rest of you go on ahead and listen to this show about polyamory. And now the author of Erotic Love with Marionettes... Colin McEnroe. Hey, just so you know, it's not just sex with Ralph. Ralph well, is somebody a must have had sex with Ralph. Ralph. Good guy. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea the Waltons were like that. So, um, yeah, this is a show about polyamory. We're going to, uh, first of all, very first of all, attempt to define it for you. Uh, we're going to tell you a little bit about uh, ways in which it works for certain people. We're not uh, pushing any particular lifestyle today. We're all pretty, as far as I know, I don't pry into anybody's business. I think we're all pretty monogamous on this show from what I can tell. Uh, so, but it, it's, it is, it's a way that people live. And uh, there are various estimates about how many people live that way. Uh, so a little later on the show, we're working on a technical problem right now with a studio connection. We'll be talking to Robin Trask, I think in no time at all. Uh, and right now, She's the executive director of Loving More, a nonprofit uh, national leader for polyamory awareness and education. Right now, we'll talk to Robert McGarry, executive director of the Human Potential Center in Austin, Texas, and the author of the Polyamory Communication Survival Kit. So, Robert McGarry, you get to go first. Um, I guess what we really need is some kind of working definition of this. Uh, When we talk about polyamory, we're talking about um, romance and, and, and sex with more than one partner. What what are the other things that go with this? Right. So uh, polyamory comes from uh, the words, the um, word, word segments, poly, which means many, and amory, which means love. And so it is about love, and it also has sex wrapped up in there as well. I love the Waltons. I, that was great. 
happen in poly, although that was a little more complicated than than most poly relationships that I've uh, that I've run into. I, I work with a lot of poly clients myself, um, and um, so uh, the core of it then is how to actually connect with and expand our love for um, for people uh, more than one, if if that works for that person. So it's a very much of a, a create your own type of relationship uh, because we think that people have a right to have the kind of connection with other people that uh, that works for them when it's you know consenting adults. So uh, some things that we could probably lay out as characteristics um, uh, that are essential to this. One is uh, honesty, right? Nobody's sneaking around. Everybody be- knows what's happening. Yes. Uh, the other one is communication. So yes. if something new is about to happen or something changes, everybody who's affected by it is in the loop and is told about it. Yes. And, I, and I would say maybe the other one, another one that maybe distinguishes it from some other kinds of relationships is um, the, assistant, the insistence that women are on the same footing as men. We all know about so-called polygamous relationships, and in many cases, those have a pretty patriarchal structure where yeah. the men get the multiple partners and the women uh, get to be one of multiple partners, but they don't get to have multiple partners. Right. So yeah. polyamory, uh, I would imagine, goes against the grain of that, too. Very much, yes. It's, uh, it's very much equal. Um, basically, everybody is on equal footing, and everybody uh, uh, optimally tries to communicate with um, saying what they need and saying what they want and then negotiating with other people that are involved to make sure that everybody, as best as possible, gets 100% of what they want and, and would like to have in that relationship. So communication is essential and being able to really connect in uh, with the other person and find out how we can express our love to them more effectively um, is, a, is a core part of the whole thing. So, uh, you know, there are, and if and when we ever locate Robin electronically, well, she'll talk, say a little bit more about it, but there even are now uh, through her organization and maybe others that I don't know about, even kind of conventions. Uh, she has a Loving More convention, I think it's meeting in Philadelphia in 2017, where people can kind of get together and talk about some of these things. When people do, does everybody agree on the working definition? I mean, just for example, there are there used to be, there probably still are, people who call themselves swingers, you know? Swingers right. are kind of married couples who hook up with other married couples, or yep. they might show up to a place where everybody, I don't know, you know, they fish keys out of a bowl. Or there's, and To me, that seems a little different from what you're talking about. Oh, yes. Swingers is, is quite a different uh, idea. Um, they both fall under the concept of an open marriage, sort of opening up uh, to more possibilities than sort of the classic monogamous impression of, of what a marriage should be like but um, but swingers tend swinging tends to be and there's a lot of it's a spectrum but there's a swing swing tends to focus on the sex mm-hmm. you know we're going to have sex with this other couple tends to be very couple oriented and we're going to have sex with this other couple but there tends to be there's usually a an understanding that we won't get emotionally involved Mm-hmm. With polyamory, they start, it st- really starts out with, okay, there is this emotional connection and maybe we will have sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a, a focus on the love in poly, and there tends to be a focus on the sex in swinging. 
and there's a variety of different kinds of open relationships. What what classically defines polyamory, number one, is it's not cheating. Mm-hmm. So there is, like you said, Colin, very much a, 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 an agreement for honesty. And then a, a focus on connecting with the other person on love and letting that love develop in ways that are right for that relationship because the way we love one person may be different from the way we love another person. And so each relationship can develop on in, in its own optimal way. I should say at the end of today's show, we're going to have a, a conversation with a uh, polyamorous couple um, from here in Connecticut, and a lot of these same things are are going to come up. But I guess one thing that I'll ask you is, you know, I mean, life is chaotic. Uh, it's chaotic enough if you're just trying to keep a stable monogamous relationship uh, going. Um, I, I imagine it takes a certain kind of person, but even that certain kind of person, as I look at it from the outside, I think, wow, you know, uh, monogamy is complicated enough and can get kind of wacky and, and chaotic. Um, why, why add three or four new or even one or two new names to the mix? Uh, but I guess that's not something that you guys worry that much about, or maybe you do. Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's an ongoing issue. Is the, there's the poly, polyamory mantra is communicate, communicate, communicate. It's an ongoing uh, focus on on being able to talk it through, yes. Um, but one of the things I will say about about poly relationships that tends to get overlooked, yes, it's more complicated. It's it's a complex kind of dynamic that, that happens, as you saw with the Waltons, which was adorable. Um, and one of the great things, though, that happens with poly is that um, because I have this other person in my life when one relationship gets complicated, often the other person can help explain to that couple what's what's actually going on, help them actually communicate. So there's sort of a, a built-in uh, almost therapy adjunct in there where where the other persons in the relationship can help the um, the original couple communicate better. All right, so uh, it's actually useful in many cases and makes it easier rather than more rather than just more difficult to to communicate about it. All right, I want to uh, add uh, Robin Trost to this conversation, but before we do that, um, let's hear uh, comedian Margaret Cho uh, talking on, I guess, Fox News Good Day. I've been in this program, Fox News Good Day New York, uh, talking about her experience with polyamory. I am the guide to the wild side to to help anybody who's curious about polyamory, about... You, you, um, you practice that, right? I have practiced and that. How, give us a tip on that, because I'm not sure. I mean, I come from a very traditional, you're married, you have one person till death do you part. Yeah, but in those situations, a lot of people cheat. So, you know, we see people get divorced, we see people get... Jealous, you know, um, polyamory means that you have um, a hall pass. <laughs> I'll pass. No, it's a little bit uh, different from that. Uh, Robin Trask is joining us now, executive director, as I said, of the Loving More nonprofit, uh, a national leader for polyamory awareness and education. So um, while we were struggling with your connection, Robin, uh, Robert McGarry has been nice enough to uh, lay a pretty good groundwork for the conversation uh, we're having about polyamory. I want to ask, you know, maybe I do know because I get your emails 
because you were on a different show I had like 16 years ago or something. Um, I know you've got conventions. You've got one coming up in Philadelphia, uh, a Loving More convention, a convention for polyamorous people. So what kinds of things get talked about there? Obviously, it's a chance for people maybe to meet and network people who I don't even know how polyamorous people find one another. We can talk about that as we go along. But um, are there like sort of specific topics that are burning issues in the poly community? Yeah, we do. We basically the conference is about educating people in uh, the skills that are needed to make these complex relationships work. Um, some of the things that will be on the agenda generally are how do you make agreements that work? Dealing with jealousy. Um, what are the basics? What are the different kinds of polyamory? Because there's many ways to, to um, construct your relationships. And so we'll generally have a lot of different things. We'll also have things about developing intimacy, um, parenting and raising children. Uh, so, you know, building family, building community, and that's really a focus on on helping people to develop the skills of communication to, you know, work their relationships and make them work better. So I want to ask both of you, but Robin, uh, since you're uh, new to the party, I'll, I'll continue talking with you for a second here. Um, you know, one question I have, I guess, maybe is about the socio-political status of this movement, right? We've been through uh, something of a pretty significant and very welcome values, to me anyway, values revolution here in, in America about LGBTQ issues. Um, you know, but a lot of times when you're having those conversations about gay marriage and stuff like that, uh, people who are cultural conservatives will say, well, the next thing is they're going to make it OK to do a whole bunch of other stuff. And, you know, they'll usually say, polygamy, not polyamory. We did establish with Robert that those are very different things. But I guess, are you guys seeking more acceptance? Are you happy with the way things are? Do you want your lifestyle to be better understood and tolerated? I assume you do, right? Yes, absolutely. And part of the reason is that, like, you know, similar to the LGBT community, we've had our issues with things like housing, um, child custody, and um, even job loss. Uh, for people being poly, polyamorous. And so, yeah, there's a definite drive for acceptance and for understanding that really these are just, a, it's just a different way to have family. And it's something that for some people works very well. It's definitely, it's not for everyone. Um, Monogamy is not for everyone. So <laughs> it's really about, you know, having those choices and being able to build a family in a way that works for you. And so that's what we really advocate for is, how do we make our connections, and then how do we not get punished for loving more than one person? So, uh, Robert, let me uh, go back to you for a second here. I mean, one of the ways this gets argued out, uh, when it gets argued out, uh, when the LGBTQ part of this equation gets argued out, it gets argued out uh, as people saying, look, this is the way we are. I was born this way. I can't change it. I can't do anything about it. It's just hardwired into me to be this way. It doesn't make sense. Uh, to uh, to legislate against me. It doesn't make sense not to allow me a full range of life opportunities uh, over something I can't control. I cannot control this. Now, to some people, polyamory would seem anyway to be in a different category, that it seems more like a lifestyle choice. But that may not be how people from your community see it. So, Robert, tell me how it looks to you. Uh, many... There's a variety of, there's a spectrum, I would say, of feelings about that in the people that I've talked with, various clients and so on, that that um, for people to see for themselves what it feels like. Um, and, you know, whether it's a choice, some people feel that it's very much of a choice. Um, for myself, 
um, it's hard for me to imagine not being polyamorous. Um, when I was in second grade, uh, a family friend of ours asked me, so, Bob, do you have any girlfriends at school? And I said, yes, I have 20 of them, because there were 20 girls in the class, and mm -hmm. all of them were my friends. And they laughed, but I think there was more foreshadowing there than, than they knew. So... Well, and, and so, Robin, one way that this could be linked to some of the arguments on behalf uh, uh, of LBGTQ people is the maybe the B initial in this, in the sense that, um, as my understanding is, I mean, obviously polyamory doesn't fit one single pattern. There's a lot of ways uh, that people arrange these lives and, and the way these lives play out. But one possible way is you're either in a homosexual or a lesbian couple, uh, Sue and uh, Lisa are married, but Sue suddenly realizes she'd also like to have a relationship with Paul, and they don't even have to be married. So uh, now she's uh, exercising a bisexual impulse. It could be the other way around. Obviously, it could be a heterosexual couple. It could be Paul and Lisa, and suddenly Lisa decides that she really would like to explore something with Sue with Paul's consent and understanding. So at that level, anyway, if you believe that, that the B part of that uh, acronym is is hardwired, then then ex using polyamory as a way to explore bisexual uh, impulses, I guess maybe fits that pattern. I think it, it does, but I I think you have to go farther than that. I mean, there's a good portion of our community that identifies as bisexual, both men and women. However, for many people, like like Bob was saying, for some people, and I'm one of those, that it's very much an orientation. Um, I don't happen to be bisexual myself. I consider myself what I call bisensual. Polyamory people love to make up words, so <laughs> it's just part of our community. Um, and for me, that has become something that, as far as orientation, I really was like this since I was a very young, and I did dabble in monogamy for a few years, did not do it well, and I finally had to admit in my early 20s that I was not a monogamous person, and it was very challenging. There was no community. There was no help. I felt what I was doing was wrong, and I went to therapy over it and uh, gradually learned to accept that this is who I am and that for me, it's just I'm, I'm happier and I'm more fulfilled when I'm involved with more than one person. All right. So uh, we're going to take a little break here. Uh, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how this plays out uh, when children are added to the mix. So stay with us. We'll come back. You don't own just one of your many toys. You don't All right. Uh, we are back. We're talking about um, polyamory, which is a kind of a philosophy, a way of life uh, for uh, some people. We don't really know how many people. A lot of times it depends on how you define the term. Uh, but um, but probably, you know, in the millions uh, of Americans, uh, these are people who've made a decision to um, have both romantic uh, and emotional and sexual connections with more than one person in an atmosphere of uh, communication about it and honesty about it. No sneaking around allowed. Everybody has to uh, kind of assent to where things go uh, next and who gets added. Uh, so with that in mind, I want to ask a little bit about the kid component about it. We're going to add in just a second Dr. Karen Ruskin, a psychotherapist and expert on relationship, family, and parenting issues, the author of three books, including Dr. Karen's Marriage Manual. But before we get to her, Robin Trask, uh, who is 
the executive director of the Loving More nonprofit. Um, you got kids. How, do, how does this work? I mean, it's chaotic enough uh, in a monogamous relationship. Uh, what happens when you add uh, other partners to the kid equation? Well, I think that it depends on the people. It depends on how they add people in to the relationship, so to speak. Uh, but my experience, I've raised three children in a polyamorous uh, relationship. And for me and my children, it's been, um, it's definitely had its pluses, and there have been some negatives around it. So I would say the pluses have been um, having other adults around that they can talk to, that they're a part of their lives. And that has been, for my kids, a really good thing. They also got raised seeing adults who communicate well, who respect each other. And kids learn from what they see their parents do. And so because of our honesty and our transparency with our kids and with, our, with each other, it's really helped my kids to have that good communication skills and to develop those as children. Um, on the negative side, it can be challenging sometimes for um, if you, you know, if you happen to lose a partner or, and this happens in monogamous families too, when you, you know, somebody gets divorced or maybe somebody was a close friend and they have a falling out um, who spent a lot of time with the family, kids can lose people in their lives. Um, but I think if you provide the stability for your children and let them know that they're loved and they're cared about and that sometimes adult relationships have challenges, that kids can really thrive in polyamorous relationships. All right. Uh, so let's uh, add to this conversation Dr. Karen Ruskin. Uh, I already explained who she is. Uh, I've read your blog, Dr. Karen Ruskin. You're not a fan of this, uh, particularly as it affects children. To, uh, say why. Well, the way in which I like to explain it is not that I'm a judge and not that I'm a jury. I, I am not somebody to decide what someone should or shouldn't do and how they should live their life. But what I can do is share that in my work with families, since 1993, I can report my clinical observations, and that has certainly been that it is more of a rarity when you have a child, children, who grow up in a polyamorous environment that it's as successful as Robin. Um, I'm so happy that her family is, is working out in such a positive way with the polyamorous experience because that is typically not what I hear and not what I see um, because of all of the variables that happens with specific connection to relationships that are coming in and out of your life. Because just as um, you both were talking about a moment ago, comparing it to not unlike the divorced family, it's very much like that where kids lose people in and out of their lives, and these are very significant people. So by placing that um, into their lives, in essence, it's putting them in harm's way, and that's unfortunately um, a very big factor into um, what led me to ultimately write the blog because of what I had been seeing happening with kids, not just kids as kids currently, but grown adults that would come into my office and share with me their experiences as children well before the polyamorous lifestyle expression came to uh, being more of a common statement that people understand what that is, but rather than understanding as adults that that's how they lived 
and how that's affected them in their relationship to date. Now, ordinarily, what we would really like, uh, Karen, would be some kind of peer-reviewed study where we had, uh, you know, a chance to kind of control for variables and and maybe look at outcomes uh, for children in polyamorous couples. I assume we're not there at the point of research. What you're doing and saying right now is basically observational uh, based on, I mean, I don't know how many people you see from, from polyamorous backgrounds. Right. This is not a study. This is really an observational report in my work with families since 1993. This is not a study that we're putting together and calling it research. This is rather a report, and that's, um, that's what I'm putting out there today, just as a, someone who might, you know, like you're talking about with Robin, talking about her own experience as a person, I'm talking about the reports based on families that I've been working with. and um, So how about Robin's... Uh, I'm going to run into a fundraising break, and I want to be make sure we get this in. So Robin made an interesting point, which is that you know when people can't do what they want, when they're in monogamous relationships and maybe they want to do other stuff, they sneak around a little bit more. They, they may engage in d- secretive, destructive behaviors. We all have seen that happen and people around us that, that, at least in the polyamorous lifestyle, everybody has to communicate about everything. Maybe there's a better chance that if somebody has something, something that, about themselves that they need to explore, it could be explored in a less malignant way. One might theorize with that, but often what I've seen, um, even in polyamorous relationships, is the pain of that there is still secrecy. Coming up with a list of rules of what you're going to share and what you're not going to share, it's the very unco- uncommon couple who is able to abide by that long term and often um, secrets still do happen, jealousies still do happen, hurt still happens, loss of relationships, breakups, um, and secrecy still does happen. Um, but is the, the hope or the thought uh, perhaps that some people feel um, in theory that they can come up with a set of rules which includes honesty 24-7 going to help with um, the threat of betrayal? Sure, in theory, that would be great um, with regards to there not being that experience of betrayal. But that, the, the, the betrayal component is another topic. If we're talking specifically about how polyamory affects kids when it is a known quantity, um, children are impacted by that as there are people in and out of their lives. Okay, I'm, okay so I'm, I'm about to run into a little fundraising break here, Karen. Uh, I've only got about 35 seconds left, which is not fair, Robin. But are there any studies? Is there any clinical literature on any of this stuff? Yes, there is. Um, there actually was a 15-year study done. It's called the Polyamorous. It was written in a book, Polyamorous Next Door, of families raising children over a 15-year period. Um, and it basically showed that outcomes were positive. Um, when there were healthy families, just like in monogamy, and unhealthy families positive, there wouldn't, you know, the outcomes were less positive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, that that kind of makes sense. I mean, uh, but anyway, we're going to have to uh, take a little break here. We're going to let uh, you, the rest of you meet uh, a polyamorous couple, and if you live in Connecticut, they live in Connecticut too. There might be your neighbors for all you know. Uh, you'll meet them after this break. Thanks so much to uh, our guests here so far, to Robin Trask and Dr. Karen Ruskin uh, and Robert McGarry. We'll be back. Today's show was produced by Josh Nalea and me, but we gave each other permission to produce other shows, which is why I smell like Kai Rizdal. 
Appearing with me in the intro were Betsy Kaplan, Jonathan McPants, Ray Hardman, and the glamorous Lee Newton. Our intern is Lusty Fisher. Part of Bill Curry was played by Charles Curalt. All of our shows are available at wnpr.org slash Colin. On tomorrow's show, The Nose tries to figure out what Trump and Kanye were doing. And now, back to Colin. For the last two segments, you've been hearing people describe this notion of polyamory, but you probably don't think that, or it's probably hard to imagine that it takes root somewhere in the world around you. Uh, so we wanted you to meet uh, two of your polyamorous neighbors. Uh, Linz and John are a couple. They're from eastern Connecticut. They are – well, I'm going to let them describe exactly what they are and, and uh, how they interact uh, with others. Uh, so, Linz, maybe you can get us going here. Give us a sense of the structure of your polyamorous life. Okay. I'd like to preface that by saying that you're asking two people to speak for five million people in yeah. this context. Well, so we do, we do a lot of that in journalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so our specific situation, we have what some people would call an open polyamorous relationship. That means that we have relationships and connections that are stable relatively and maintained over time, what other people might think of as being monogamous, but multiple instances of that. And the open part for us means the ability to explore other new connections as they arise in our lives. So is there like one other couple or family that you have uh, that stable structure with, John? Yeah, right now um, it's sort of like a square, I guess you could say. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. so I have a, my girlfriend. We've been together for five of the last six years. Mm -hmm. And then her husband and Lindsay are dating. So that, that's that been our big long-term relationships. And so, Linz, give, give me a sense that uh, of how that works just in terms of like, I don't know, is everybody going home to dinner together or do you does it sort of break off in different directions? <laughs> that apparently was a funny question. <laughs> it is a funny question. <laughs> well, so this is a pretty new structure that we're exploring. I also have two other partners and we're not involved in that same structure. Um, and so there's a lot of different permutations of interactions. One of the things that's really important about doing poly well is to have open and honest communication and ethics. And so in our particular case, that means that for the most part, our partners know each other. And those people may have other partners and, you know, you kind of know people out to a certain extent. For the particular quad situation that we were just talking about, for a long time, it was pretty separate. And recently, we've sort of been knitting the families together a little bit more closely, but it's mm -hmm. still not day to day that we're all spending time together. And it sounds like it's also not like you're going to have a big pizza party for everybody that uh, everybody has some connection to. But maybe with this other couple, you you could. I mean, uh, can you break bread? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Absolutely. We, we do. <laughs> yeah, we hang out with a lot of people, a lot of uh, a lot of our partners in social contexts also. I mean, they're people who are part of our community now. It's, it's a lot of different ways that you interact with them. It's not just a traditional you're going to go out and have pizza and a movie, but sometimes it is. So. Mm -hmm. It just depends on what sort of relationship you work out with with a particular person. Linz, you and John have a daughter. Um, how much does she know about everything that we're talking about right now? At this point in her life, she is fully aware of the structure of our relationships. We started being poly. She was quite young, and we sort of kept that private from her until we trusted that she was old enough to mostly not talk about it at school because there is some amount of concern about how people might judge that. Okay. Now, speaking of that judgment, John, one reason we're not using your last names and we're being a little bit vague about who you are right now is that you understandably uh, have uh, some questions about how you might be regarded. In particular, I mean, do you have questions that are specific to the current political moment? Are you wondering whether 
the tide is going to turn away from laissez-faire and a little bit more towards, hey, what are you up to? We want to know. Well, I mean, that is a concern that, you know, you're you're doing something that's not what a lot of people would consider normal. But on the other side of it, you know, as opposed to, say, gay marriage or that sort of thing, it, these aren't necessarily relationships that have, you know, legal implications, at least for us. And, and there are people who are, you know, if you have a couple of boyfriends, then how do you manage, um, you know, any sort of sick or visitation or that sort of thing. But um, in our situation, um, a lot of it also comes down to reactions just interacting with people in the school or their reactions that could lead to, you know, uh, there's been people who have had, uh, you know, DCF sort of services who have been called just for the fact that their parents have multiple partners and their, you know, children have talked about that. So so in that way, it's a concern. But, but in other ways, we're fortunate that it's a little off the radar and a little less less of a threatening thing for people. I think it's more people just don't understand. You know, I, one thing that I noticed is you guys seem pretty affectionate with each other. I've got a few other married couples in here. You guys have been holding hands most of the time. <laughs> Maybe that's a little bit of anxiety about talking about this conversation. But I'm also thinking, I guess we've, if you're thinking, if you're having a very chosen and intentional set of relationships – I suppose it makes you a little, you know, more aware of how emotionally present you are in any relation. I don't know. <laughs> That's apparently a funny question. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> a, Absolutely. A little is a gigantic understatement. Okay. Um, one of the things that makes poly work well, and this has been a huge learning curve for us. We didn't come to where we are now um, with the set of tools that we have. But early on developing, how do you be aware of your own needs and how do you identify your own needs and wants and emotional state and how do you stay aware of those of your partners? And this is a life skill, not just a poly skill. It's important in monogamous relationships. It's important in parenting. But it is particularly important when you're trying to maintain and assess the needs and wants of multiple people. Yeah, I only have one person in my life, and I think she would say, look, you have enough trouble being emotionally present in uh, a totally monogamous situation. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, adding more people would be, uh. would be wrong. Do you guys feel as though the fact that you're able to do this and that you have the impulse to do this is kind of an innate quality that you have that has something to do with fundamentally who you are? Or is it more circumstan- that circumstances led you to be – in this, you know, I mean, I don't know, when you were eight years old, were you thinking, I think maybe I'll have a wife and like lots of, you know. <laughs> no, I don't. I think it's a little bit of both. I mean, I definitely would say that there's a a mindset to it that you kind of have to have, but you also kind of grow into. So, yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't say that in my, you know, late teens, I would have identified as polyamorous. I mean, Liz, do you think, I mean, I, for example, I feel like I sort of intuitively know I couldn't do this. Probably people, at some level anyway, have some sense whether they've got the wire, the basic wiring to even try it or not. Yeah, maybe. And, and science has looked into it some to see. And there's some evidence that there may be some genetic bias one way or other for individual people. For me, I was introduced to the idea in college. I was dating a guy who was several years older than me, and he said, you know, I understand you're young and you're new to this, you know, world. And like, if you want to go make out with other people at parties, that's great. Just I don't want to hear it through the grapevine. I want you to tell me. And it sort of broke my brain for a minute there of like, wait, what? You could, oh, we could do that. And so that was my introduction to it. And we, as John said, we we grew into it eventually after we were married. Liz, are there, is there anybody in your life or in your lives who's just going, no, no, don't do this. This is like really terrible. Don't do this. I don't get that reaction generally. I would say I'm sort of half closeted. So there are a lot of people in my life who know. There are some people I choose generally not to share with. 
as John said earlier, what I see more as a reaction or what I hear from people is, I could never do that. I don't understand. That's kind of strange, but not generally aversion, I would say. So I want to know a little bit more about this whole issue of managing emotions and jealousies and and relationships with, with uh, new people. Uh, one term that Josh, our producer, discovered and introduced me to, I like acronyms, is, is <laughs> NRE. NRE. Yeah, right. NRE. So yeah. T- tell people about NRE. NRE is uh, an acronym that stands for New Relationship Energy, which is the recognition that when you make a new connection with somebody, there is an energy that comes up from that. There is excitement. There is the desire to spend time with that person. This comes up in monogamous relationships, too. It comes up in probably even, you know, professional relationships. You make a great new connection. It's energizing. It feels good. You need to be aware of and careful about not neglecting the other people or other things in your life in order to feed that energy. And learning how to manage that and how to navigate that where you get to enjoy that new energy and also have it not be detrimental to your other relationships. You know, Lynn said that she's sort of careful about who she tells and, and in terms of, you know, anybody being disapproving. But, I mean, how about your families? I mean, how about Thanksgiving dinner? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, my family live in the Midwest, so yeah. um, I actually haven't shared with them. And that's just kind of been on a – it doesn't impact their lives. And so I didn't feel like it needed to impact their lives. So. Yep. It's been easy for me. Have either of you ever had to sort of come out to a family I, member? I came out to each of my parents individually yeah. and to some of my cousins. And it was okay overall and kind of surprising the degree of acceptance most of the time. The people I choose not to share with, there's, there's a judgment thing, but there's also, you know, there might be some people in your life who they were, were they to find out that you were available would treat you differently than they do. And sometimes you maybe just don't even want to put that on the radar. I think, John, one of the misperceptions that people have is that this is about making sexy time with lots of people. <laughs> uh, and and the more that I listen to you guys, the more I, I know that Josh has had some conversations with you. seems like that's – I mean it goes along with it, but it's sort of not necessarily the driving force. Right. And generally in the defining of things, um, when people talk about just having sexual partners, it's generally – people talk about having an open marriage or an open relationship – and we had that at one point, and we decided that that wasn't what we were really looking for, that there's a deeper connection that we could have and share with more people, and that was okay and, and even good for us. So I'm talking to Linz and John right now. They are a polyamorous couple. They live right here in Connecticut. So in a way, Linz, it sounds like – I mean, I don't want to necessarily paint uh, a big rosy face on this fence, you know. <laughs> but, but you know, as you guys are talking, I'm realizing – I mean, I could never do this, what you're doing, just I'm not wired that way. But um, it does make sense that – you can be jealous in any kind of relationship. And in some ways, if you're in a monogamous relationship, we were out for a long drive the other day. We we're just driving from one place to another. And, I, you know, sort of semi-jokingly, my significant other said, well, who would you be with if you weren't with me? You know, and of course, the only proper response to that if you're in a monogamous relationship is nobody. I would just lie down in front of a bulldozer and, you know, because what would be the point of my life? And, you know, which, by the way, if you're listening right now, I totally meant that. But, um, but I mean, you sort of have to huge to that, right? You you can't really, it would be very difficult under those circumstances in a monogamous relationship to say, you know what, I think Rochelle's kind of a cool person. Yeah, maybe I would date her if you weren't around. I mean, you can't say that, you know? But for you guys, I guess you can communicate. You have some kind of basis to communicate. I mean, oh. a big basis to communicate about that, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'd like to put it out there, too, that this is our particular structure. I know people that have closer to open relationships than Polly, usually, but where this one partner will say, okay, you go do what you want, and I don't want to know about it as long as you're being safe about your practices. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge spectrum of things that fall into sort of this umbrella of 
what it means to be poly. Is it important to you that, I mean, I suppose another possible reaction that one might have is, really, her or him? You're going to go out with... Uh, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. What a dork. You're going to keep going out with a dork like that. I mean, but is it important at some level to have some kind of respect for the choice that the other person makes? I mean, absolutely. I mean, it would be really hard if, in any relationship if your, you know, your friends, your your uh, your parents, that sort of thing were disapproving of your partners. I mean, that's going to make it really challenging. But on the other hand, and tying back into what we were talking about with NRE, you can... There's a, also a, a benefit to having another partner because they can come and say to you, hey, I think you're so far deep with the NRE here that you're missing some warning signs, you know, some, mm-hmm. some things that could be, you know, not good. And and that can be hard to take, you know. Learning to take that advice is also really challenging. <laughs> you know, we're we're almost at the end of this conversation, Linz, and I, I – is there something I'm not asking or, or is there a misperception or a misconception that people have or something you'd like to tell the world that they don't understand about all this stuff? <laughs> we can book an extra hour. If yeah, 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 let's do that. Just the idea that it's not that strange. We don't have a cultural model for it, but mm. every challenge that you can imagine that comes up in a monogamous relationship can come up in poly and – Many of the things that come up in poly, although not all, come up in monogamous relationships. You know, it's it's a different structure, but it's not fundamentally any different than the idea that, you know, you can love more than one person. Do you love your parents and your child and that awesome teacher you had and, you know, your romantic partner? And we don't put limits on these other types of love. We say, yes, you can love all, all your parents and your grandparents and your children and your aunts and uncles and your students. And it's only really with romantic love that we teach that it needs to be limited to one person. Well, this has been a very interesting conversation, and I want to thank you for being so honest and uh, sharing your lives with me. You're welcome. You're welcome. And and several thousand other people. (laughs) Uh, All right. This has been uh, John and Linz. Uh, That's the end of our show, too, on polyamory. And uh, Josh Nalea gets all the credit for coming up with this show and putting it all together. Uh, We're going to be back tomorrow, I believe, with The Nose. So thanks for tuning in today. So explain polyamory to me. It's when someone has more than one intimate relationship at a time with the knowledge and consent of everybody involved. That's just wrong. Excuse me? It's polyphilia or multiamory. Mixing Greek and Latin roots is just wrong.